Welcome to Zoni Living. If you love a great American story about a big-hearted but ill-equipped couple who set out on a physically demanding and sometimes dangerous journey that they had no business going on, you will love our guest, Liza McQuaid. Liza and her husband Clark decided to ride their bike across the country from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. And as she tells the story in Spontaneous Revolutions, seeing America one pedal at a time, they didn't train, they weren't in shape, and they didn't know how to change a flat tire. The story is mostly hilarious, often tender, and sometimes scary. Let's bring Liza on right now to tell us more. Liza, are you there? I am here. Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Fantastic. I I am so good, and you look all intact and all recovered. Uh, (laughs) Just like a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people that you encountered along the way, I fell in love with you guys and found myself picking up your book every chance I got. But this was more than 3,000 miles on a bike. I have to know what was going through your minds when you first decided to do this. So take us back to the very beginning and that moment when you thought, yeah, that sounds like a really great idea to bike across the country. (laughs) You know what? It really was kind of a wild hair. We were at the point in our lives where it's like, okay, so is there more to life than, you know, a job where we need to put in more time and energy and have less time to do what we really want to do? And, you know, what can we do to spice up our lives, make it more interesting? And, you know, we're getting to the point where how many things do you need? Let's go do an experience. And so we're just kind of talking about what that looked like. And all of a sudden I just said, hey, why don't we ride our bikes across the country? (laughs) And um, Clark said, hey, that's a good idea. it, it really was that quick. In the in the next couple of weeks, we quit our jobs. Oh my we gosh. went through the garage and we tried to find what biking equipment we had. We bought what we didn't have and uh, we thought we had enough, but turns out we really didn't. Uh, we borrowed some things and uh, and we hit the road. And And you left your cell phones behind. That part is really hard for me to imagine. Yeah. You know, we, we just really wanted to be unplugged and just connect in with ourselves day to day and just kind of see what happened. And we didn't want to be constantly texting people or emailing sure. or checking phones. And, you know, we we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to be bound by that. And you know what? In many ways, I'm really glad that we didn't plan too much. Because if we would have thought about it, we certainly <laughs> out we were not in shape to do this, didn't have the skill set to do it. And then we would have missed out on this fabulous opportunity. So I'm really glad we went. I'm glad you went too. And I know that in your book, you talk about part of your motivation was to experience small towns and the cuisine all along the way. And Clark, being a chef and a food scientist, would chat up restaurant owners and more than once, and I was always surprised, more than once, someone would suggest that you two buy their restaurant. And you actually considered it. You guys would talk about it, like on day nine, day nine, passing through Waldport, Oregon, when you stopped for a burger. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, you know, we just stopped for a burger at a little burger place. And, you know, usually when you're in that kind of environment, it took people about four minutes to realize that Clark really knew a lot about Mm. what he was talking about as far as food, nutrition, that kind of thing went. And then they probably realized that with my communication background, I was good with people. And so it probably appeared like we'd be the perfect team to to manage a restaurant. And we might have been. And um, they enticed us by dangling the carrot, you know, well, we'll help you and we'll (laughs) introduce 
community and we'll, you know, introduce you to the vendors and kind of show you the policies and procedures. So it did sound really appealing at first. And we actually did spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, and, you know, there was also something so romantic about living in a small town, sure. especially if it's in the mountains or on a beautiful lake or along the ocean. Um, that's just always been so romantic to me. It, it seems like people, um, everyone knows everyone else and they really take care of each other. They help each other out. Um, and it's just it's just has this just romanticism about it. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it felt that way to us. Well, your book is is not just an adventure. I have to tell people it's a bit of a travel guide as well. For example, I didn't know that Tillamook, I hope I'm saying it correctly, that Tillamook cheese comes from a real farm named Tillamook and that fairy houses are for real in Charlevoix, Michigan. I hope I'm saying that right as well. What was your favorite discovery? Oh, you know, um, it had to probably be the humongous fungus for <laughs> 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 people who about this, but there is a giant mushroom gro- growing. It's actually almost three and a half square miles. Whoa. It's all underground, of course, but it's the largest living organism in the world. And it's in Eastern Oregon. It's in the Strawberry Mountains of Eastern Oregon. Isn't that cool? I That's, mean, yeah, it's wild to imagine that. Yeah, for sure. Well, for <laughs> balance, then I have to ask you about your least favorite experience. Now, you know, all through the book, I know there were days that were just incredibly hot. And sometimes you were in blinding rain, or you were trying to stay ahead of a one step ahead of a hailstorm. And at one point, you were hit by a barrage of grasshoppers, which I can't even imagine how awful that must have been. You described picking them out of the spokes of your chains and off of your legs. And and then, of course, there were mechanical problems, and you had some really bad falls as well. So, uh, yeah, tell us about maybe something you would not want to repeat. You know, um, I am not a fan of insects. And I think for me, the worst part was some of our insect experiences. And one of them was mosquitoes. Mm. Um, We hit a couple places where there were so many mosquitoes just swarming us, biting us everywhere. And we were outside Wall, South Dakota, and we were going down this kind of path that um, was was gravel, kind of a farm road, really, is what we were on. And there was this pond. And we rode there and we just got attacked by mosquitoes. It was horrible. At one point, there were so many mosquitoes on my legs. It looked like I had black stockings on, only like black moving stockings. (laughs) Yikes. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) That's kind of of not a great visual. One of the great and wonderful things about your book is the fact that you're such a good storyteller. And it's not surprising Uh, Your background is in communications, television, radio, marketing, and promotions. I love how you notice things that other people might not, and you let the reader in on what you're thinking in the moment. Some of the best parts are the colorful characters that you encounter that you describe so well. Of course, one of my favorites was Magnet Lady, and couldn't have been a better timing. This was on day 58 on July 31st with heavy rain. You're in South Dakota soaking wet. You stop at a cafe. You're tired. You're wet. You're hungry. And that's where you meet Magnet Lady. Exactly. (laughs) And you set up the scene really well. You know, it was pouring that day. It was so wet that despite the fact that we had rain gear on, water was getting everywhere. We were wet 
absolutely everywhere. We're, our shoes were soaking, our socks were dripping, even our wallets, the money in our wallets were completely wet. So it was such an awful day. And like you said, we stopped at a small little cafe just to escape, escape the rain. And also, you know, it's not real safe to travel when you can't see oh, yeah. 10 feet above in front of you. That means cars can't see you either. So um, we're, we're like, we're out of here. So we go into this cafe and the first thing we see is this woman who's really oddly dressed and uh, Clark sits down and barely did his buns sit, fit, you know, fit into the chair when she was on top of him with these magnets. And she was trying to sell him these magnets or she was trying to sell herself. I'm not sure which, to be honest. <laughs> oh, but she was leaning over him. Her breasts are resting on his shoulder. And she's rubbing his back with these magnets oh, and goodness. buy some. And Clark shot me a, oh, help me glance. And and I said, oh, you know, let me see the magnets. I'd love, you know, tell me more about it. But she just blew me off. She, I mean, it's as if I didn't exist at all. Mm. So, um she kept at Clark and he asked her several times to stop. But every time he asked her to stop, it seemed like she got more aggressive and she put the magnets in his shoes and we're trying to get them in his pockets. And it was it was kind of bizarre. So at one point he was a great guy, but at one you know, he didn't put up with this kind of stuff for too long. So at one point he stood up and he said, I've had enough. I don't want any of it. Leave me alone. And when he did that, she let out this diabolical laugh and the room, the, the energy in the room just turned cold. It was really, it was kind of more than creepy. Mm. And uh, we sort of backed up towards the door because we didn't, we were afraid, you know, we didn't want our backs to her. Mm -hmm. So we backed up towards the door and he stood up um, right as we were leaving and he gave her the, his death stare, you know, <laughs> don't even think about coming near me again. Oh, and she actually took a step back and then we were free to get out. So, um, you know, it's interesting, Bonnie, because on the trip, um, we decided actually very early in the trip that if either of us ever felt uncomfortable in any way, shape, manner, or form, um, no questions asked, we would give a signal to the other person and we'd get out of there. But in this case, we were both wanting out of there as soon as we could. <laughs> so Boy, we were done. Sounds like yeah. it. Crazy. Well, I'm so glad you were able to get away without having to buy magnets. Throughout the journey, you would stay in campsites, and you'd also barter for motel rooms. On day 98, you were in Ontario, Canada, crossing a freeway on foot in heavy fog. And this this is just uh, very scary. Uh, you're, you're saying it was a, a guessing game, two steps forward, three steps back. Once safely across and seated in a 24-hour diner, our ragged nerves calmed. But then later that day, a massive lumber truck forced you off the road, and you fell face down in gravel. Uh, no doubt it was a, a trying day, but then, after that happened, you were joking about feeling like uh, you had entered the Bates Motel. This was very scary to me. You know, that was definitely our scariest night, no doubt about it. Um, as you said, it was a really kind of long trying day. In fact, it was our longest day on the road. We rode 120 miles that day. Oh, wow. If you're an experienced cyclist, you know, that's a decent day. But for us, we had pushed ourselves beyond our capabilities, probably. But we had a goal. We wanted to reach the shores of Lake Ontario that day. And so we pushed on and we made it, but barely. 
And we were really exhausted. And when you're that tired, you're not making the best decisions. So we checked into this motel. And um, if we would have been more with it, we probably would have noticed that there was some windows that were boarded up and there was some broken glass and there was a single stiletto shoe sitting in a puddle off in the corner. Um, So that would have been a warning sign, maybe get a different motel. But it it didn't register, you know. (laughs) Right. So we stayed there and and we had dinner and and crashed. And then about two o'clock in the morning, note, bar time, um, a woman came just pounding on our door. John, let me in. John, let me in. And we kept saying, no, John here. You got the wrong room. And um, but she would pause for a second and then she would come back and she was banging so hard sometimes on the glass that we thought it would break. And um, it was really, you know, we thought, well, she's really drunk, whatever. So we kept telling her, go away. There's no John here. Then she took a pause. And about a few minutes later, the phone started ringing. And we would pick up the phone and there'd be no one there. Or there was someone there. You could hear the breathing. Oh, no. I know it was creepy. Um, but no one said anything. And this went on four or five times. And and a little a little while after that, she showed back up at our room with a man in tow and she actually had a key to our room. Crazy. No, it was nuts. Where did she get this key? So she takes the key and she gets into our room. I mean, it works. And she's, she has one foot in the room and this guy is right behind her. And honestly, I have never seen Clark move so fast in my life. He jumped up, he grabbed the key, he shoved her out the door and he's, you know, slammed the door shut and locked it. Um, and then, of course, there was a litany of swear words from from both of them when that happened. And that went on for a while. And eventually things quieted down and happily dawn came. And at first light, we kind of packed up our stuff and kind of quietly left the place because we were a little bit afraid they might be waiting for us or watching for us in the car outside and run us over or whatever. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was, oh, and the other thing I forgot to tell you is we tried to call for help and we picked up the phone and the phone was dead. So they could call in, but for some reason we couldn't call out. I mean, how Hitchcock is that? Yeah, it sounds like a very scary movie. That's crazy. It was a scary movie, but you know, there was a happy ending because 10 miles away, we hit this beautiful town called Coburg, Ontario, and it was just 10 miles, but it was a world of difference. We found a wonderful place to stay. The people were wonderful. The bed was comfortable. The food in the town was terrific. It was a darling little town. And we just holed up there for a couple of days and and slept off the nightmare and we're ready to go again. Oh my gosh, good for you guys. Very resilient, (laughs) by the way. Spontaneous Revolutions goes by day by day instead of chapter by chapter. And along the way, you offer little sidebars, memories, or insights. At one point, you write about freedom. And and here's what you said. Uh, You say, the people we spoke with during our trip used the word freedom with a sense of personal yearning. They wanted what we had. Many in the world lack freedom, freedom to be who they really are and do what they want most. Our trip allowed us to be free spirits. We hoped others would follow suit to find their personal freedom, whatever their journey may be. If you really want to do something, no matter what it is, it's worth the effort to find a way to make it happen. It's part of what gives life meaning. Now, do you still stick by these words? 
Oh, absolutely. I believe them fully. Um, you know, one of the beauties of the trip is that we were really free. Well, first of all, we were carrying everything we needed to survive. So we could, you know, kind of stop ever, anywhere and be okay for the most part. Um, and we also didn't really have, we didn't really have to be anywhere at any specific time. So we could change our direction. We could ride a different road. We could stay with people if they invited us, if they invited us a, a second night, which they sometimes did, we mm -hmm. did that. Um, you know, we were just really flexible and free. And that was just a beautiful space to be. And what that also get, allowed us to do was have the chance to practice living in the moment you know, and the chance to really be who we are. I mean, here we are, overweight, old, out of shape, inexperienced, yet all these people wanted to meet us. They wanted to talk to us. They wanted to be a part of our journey. They wanted to participate in our success. It was so beautiful and so much fun. And it was a really good lesson. You know, value yourself and um, be present. Be as present as possible. I, I feel like we as humans put all these restrictions on ourselves. You know, there's all these obligations and there's, you know, our worries and things we have to do and people we feel we have to please. But guess what? We can choose not to do that. We can choose not to get bogged down. I mean, do things come up? Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course they do. And you have to deal with them. But still, um, we can make the choice to stay connected and, uh, you know, be connected in a meaningful, meaningful way. I guess really what I'm saying is attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. And I believe if you live your life in a kind and loving way, you know, go for it. Be yourself. No one's perfect. So what? Just do your best and enjoy life while we're here and follow your dreams. That is absolutely the secret to, to being free. And honestly, Bonnie, you know what? If we can do it, you can do it, <laughs> whatever your dream is. I mean, maybe your dream is not to bicycle across the country. It could be a thousand different things, but it's just a matter of taking it one pedal at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, and you'll get there. I love that. Well, you also talk about you know, all the lessons that you learned along the way and everything that was reinforced that you already believed. But Spontaneous Revolutions is also a love story. You want to tell us about yeah. your relationship? I think you were talking about how, how you grew closer on this trip. You know, surprisingly, we did, we did grow a lot closer. Not that we didn't need moments to get away from each other. Mm -hmm. And we actually planned that in every day because we'd get into towns and Clark would usually like to enjoy a beer. And I really wanted to take a shower and kind of kick back and, um, you know, write my notes for the day and that sort of thing. So we took that time apart so we could just kind of have a minute to catch our breath. But um, we got to know each other really, really well. And we'd arrived together, you know, a, lot, a number of years. But, um, and it's interesting that you say that it's a love story, because when I wrote the book, I didn't really write it with that in mind. But I guess when you write about someone you love, it, it comes out on the pages, you know, it comes out through your words. And that makes me really, really happy. Oh, yes. Uh, it was that, loud and clear. It just really, really dear moments. 
and what a special season in your life. I'm so grateful that you two had that time. Uh, what a great adventure, a fantastic story. Thank you, Liza McQuaid, for sharing it with us. Thank you, Bonnie. It was really fun. Well, really fun for the adventure and fun for us to go along on the adventure. Thank you. Spontaneous Revolutions, Seeing America One Pedal at a Time is a fun read, great while you're on a trip or relaxing on a beach or in a mountain cabin. It's available on Amazon. Also read more about Liza at FlagstaffBusinessNews.com. After reading Spontaneous Revolutions, you may find yourself rooting for unlikely athletes like I did, no matter how far away the finish line is. I'll leave you with a line from Liza. Surmounting a challenge is mostly a mind game. This is Zoni Living, business, adventure, and leadership. I'm Bonnie Stevens.